Section four of the Life of God and the Soul of Man by Henry Scoogle. The Sleeperbox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jen Raimundo. Section four. But now that I may detain you no longer, if we desire to have our souls moulded to this holy frame, to become partakers of the divine nature and have Christ formed in our hearts, we must seriously resolve and carefully endeavour to avoid and abandon all vicious and sinful practices. There can be no treaty of peace till we lay down these weapons of rebellion wherewith we fight against heaven, nor can we expect to have our distempers cured if we are daily feeding on poison. Every willful sin gives a mortal wound to the soul, and puts it at a greater distance from God and goodness, and we can never hope to have our hearts purified from corrupt affections unless we cleanse our hands from vicious actions. Now in this case we cannot excuse ourselves by the pretense of impossibility, for surely our outward man is in some way in our power. We have command of our feet, hands, and tongue, nay, and of our thoughts and fancies too, at least so far as to divert them from impure and sinful objects, and to turn our mind another way. And we would find this power and authority much strengthened and advanced if we were careful to manage and exercise it. In the meantime, I acknowledge that our corruptions are so strong, and our temptations so many, that it will require a great deal of steadfastness and resolution, of watchfulness and care, to preserve ourselves, even in this degree of innocence and purity. And first, let us inform ourselves well what those sins are from which we ought to abstain. And here we must not take our measures from the maxims of the world, or the practices of those whom in charity we account good men. Most people have very light apprehensions of these things, and are not sensible of any fault unless it is gross and flagitious. They scarcely reckon any so great as that which they call preciseness, and those who are more serious many times allow themselves too great latitude and freedom. Alas, how much pride and vanity, passion and humour, how much weakness, folly and sin every day shows itself in their conversation and behaviour. It may be that they are humbled for it, are striving against it, and are gaining ground daily, but then the progress is so small and their failings so many that we need to choose a more exact pattern. Every one of us must answer for himself, and the practices of others will never warrant and secure us. It is the highest folly to regulate our actions by any other standard than that by which they must be judged. If ever we would cleanse our way, it must be by taking heed according to the word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and which is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, will certainly discover many things to be sinful and heinous, which pass for very innocent in the eyes of the world. Let us therefore imitate the psalmist, who said concerning the works of men, By the words of thy lips I have kept myself from the paths of the destroyer. Psalm 17, verse 4. Let us acquaint ourselves with the strict and holy laws of our religion. Let us consider the discourses of our blessed Saviour, especially that divine Sermon on the Mount, and the writings of his holy apostles, where an ingenious and unbiased mind may clearly discern those limits and bounds by which our actions ought to be confined. And then, let us never look upon any sin as light and inconsiderable, but be fully persuaded that the smallest sin is infinitely heinous in the sight of God, and prejudicial to the souls of men. If we had a right sense of things, we would be as deeply affected with the least irregularities as we now are with the highest crimes. Among those things which we discover to be sinful, there will be some unto which, through the disposition of our nature, long custom, or the endearments of pleasure, we are so much wedded that it will be like cutting off our right hand or pulling out our right eye to abandon them. But must we therefore sit down and wait till all difficulties are over and all temptations are gone? This would be to imitate the fool in the poem, who stood the whole day at the riverside waiting until all the water had run by before trying to cross over. 
we must not indulge our inclinations as we do little children till they grow weary of the thing they are unwilling to let go of we must not continue our sinful practices in hopes that the divine grace will one day overpower our spirits and make us hate them for their own deformity let us suppose the worst that we are utterly destitute of any supernatural principle and lack that taste by which we should discern and abhor perverse things yet surely we are capable of some considerations which may be of force to persuade us to this reformation of our lives if the inward deformity and heinous nature of sin cannot affect us at least we may be frightened by those dreadful consequences that attend it that same selfish principle which pushes us forward into the pursuit of sinful pleasures will make us loath to buy them at the rate of everlasting misery thus we may encounter self-love with its own weapons and employ one natural inclination for repressing the exorbitances of another let us therefore accustom ourselves to consider seriously what a fearful thing it must be to irritate and offend that infinite being on whom we hang and depend every moment who needs but to withdraw his mercies to make us miserable or his assistance to make us nothing let us frequently remember the shortness and uncertainty of our lives and how that after we have taken a few more turns in the world and conversed a little longer among men we must all go down into the dark and silent grave and carry nothing along with us but anguish and regret for all our sinful enjoyments let us then think what horror must seize the guilty soul to find itself naked and all alone before the severe and impartial judge of the world to render an exact account not only of its more important and considerable transactions but of every word that the tongue has uttered and the swiftest and most secret thought that ever passed through the mind let us sometimes represent unto ourselves the terrors of that dreadful day when the foundations of the earth shall be shaken when the heavens shall pass away with a great noise when the elements shall melt with fervent heat when the present frame of nature be dissolved and our eyes shall see the blessed jesus who came once into the world in all humility to visit us to purchase pardon for us and beseech us to accept it now appearing in the majesty of his glory and descending from heaven in flaming fire to take vengeance on all those who have despised his mercy and persisted in rebellion against him then all the hidden things of darkness shall be brought to light then those secret impurities and subtle frauds whereof the world never suspected us shall be exposed and laid open to public view and many thousands of actions which we never dreamed to be sinful or else had altogether forgotten shall be charged home to our consciences with such evident convictions of guilt that we shall neither be able to deny nor excuse them then the angels in heaven and all the saints who ever lived on the earth shall approve that dreadful sentence which shall be passed on wicked men and those who perhaps loved and esteemed them when they lived in the world shall look upon them with indignation and abhorrence and never shall make one request for their deliverance let us consider the eternal punishment of damned souls which are shadowed forth in scripture by metaphors taken from those things that are most terrible and grievous in the world and yet all those combined do not suffice to convey into our minds any full apprehensions of them when we have joined together the importance of all these expressions and added unto them whatever our fancy can conceive of misery and torment we must still remember that all this comes infinitely short of the truth and reality of the thing it is true this is a sad and melancholy subject there is anguish and horror in the consideration of it but surely it must be infinitely more dreadful to endure it and such thoughts as these may be very useful to frighten us from the courses that would lead us there however fond we may be of sinful pleasures the fear of hell would make us abstain our most forward inclinations will startle us and make us draw back when we are pressed with that question from isaiah chapter thirty three verse fourteen who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings to this very purpose it is that the terrors of another world are so frequently represented in holy writ and that in such terms as are most proper to affect and influence a carnal mind 
these fears can never suffice to make any person truly good but they may certainly restrain us from such evil and have often made way for more ingenious and kindly impressions but it will not suffice to consider these things once and again nor to form some resolutions of abandoning our sins unless we maintain a constant guard and are continually watching against them sometimes the mind is awakened to see the dismal consequences of a vicious life and then we are immediately resolved to reform ourselves but alas it then soon falls asleep and we lose that prospect which we add of things and then temptations take the advantage they solicit and importune us continually and so they frequently engage our consent before we are aware it is the folly and ruin of most people to live adventurously and take part in everything that comes in their way seldom considering what they are about to say or do if we would have our resolutions take effect we must take heed into our ways set a watch before the door of our lips examine the motions that arise in our hearts and cause them to tell us from whence they come and to where they go whether it is pride or passion or any corrupt and vicious humour that prompts us to any design and whether god will be offended or any one harmed by it and if we have no time for long reasonings let us at least turn our eyes toward god and place ourselves in his presence to ask his permission and approbation for what we do let us consider ourselves under the all-seeing eye of that divine majesty as in the midst of an infinite globe of light which compasses us about both behind and before and pierces to the innermost corners of our soul the sense and remembrance of the divine presence is the most ready and effectual means to both discover what is unlawful and to restrain us from it there are some things a person could attempt to conceal or defend and yet that person dares not look almighty god in the face and adventure upon them if we look unto him we shall be lightened if we set him always before us he will guide us by his eye and instruct us in the way wherein we ought to walk this care and watchfulness over our actions must be seconded by frequent and serious reflections upon them not only that we may obtain the divine mercy and pardon for our sins by a humble and sorrowful acknowledgment of them but also that we may reinforce and strengthen our resolutions and learn to decline or resist the temptations by which we have been formally foiled it is advice worthy to have come from a christian though it first came from a heathen pen before we betake ourselves to rest we should renew and examine all the passages of the day that we may have the comfort of what we have done aright and may redress what we find to have been amiss and make the shipwrecks of one day be as marks to direct our course in another this may be called the very art of virtuous living and would contribute wonderfully to advance our reformation and preserve our innocence but withal we must not forget to implore the divine assistance especially against those sins that most easily beset us and though it is supposed that our hearts are not yet moulded into that spiritual frame which should render our devotions acceptable yet i think that such considerations as have been proposed to deter us from sin may also stir us up to some natural seriousness and make our prayers against it as earnest at least as they are wont to be against other calamities i do not doubt that god who hears the cry of the ravens will have some regard even to such petitions as proceed from those natural passions which he himself has planted in us besides those prayers against sin will be powerful engagements on ourselves to excite us to watchfulness and care and common ingenuity will make us ashamed to relapse into those faults which we have lately bewailed before god and against which we have begged for his assistance thus we are to make the first essay for recovering the divine life by restraining the natural inclinations so that they do not break out into sinful practices but i must add here that christian prudence will teach us to abstain from gratifications that are not simply unlawful and that not only that we may secure our innocence which would be in continual hazard if we should strain our liberty to the utmost point but also that hereby we may weaken the forces of nature and teach our appetites to obey we must do with ourselves as prudent parents do with their children 
who cross their wills in many little indifferent things to make them manageable and submissive in more considerable instances he who would mortify the pride and vanity of his spirit should stop his ears to the most deserved praises and sometimes forbear his just vindication from the censures and aspersions of others especially if they reflect only upon his prudence and conduct and not on his virtue and innocence he who would check a vengeful disposition would do well to deny himself the satisfaction of representing unto others the injuries which he has sustained and if we would so take heed to our ways that we do not sin with our tongue we must accustom ourselves much to solitude and silence and sometimes with the psalmist hold our peace even from good until we have gotten some command over that unruly member thus i say we may bind up our natural inclinations and make our appetites more moderate in their cravings by accustoming them to frequent refusals it is not enough to have them under violence and restraint our next essay must be to wean our affections from created things and all the delights and entertainments of the lower life which sink and depress the souls of men and retard their motions towards god and heaven and this we must do by possessing our minds with the deep persuasion of the vanity and emptiness of worldly enjoyments this is an ordinary theme and everybody can make declamations upon it but alas how few understand and believe what they say these notions float in our brains and come sliding off our tongues but we have no deep impression of them on our spirits we do not feel the truth which we pretend to believe we can tell that all the glory and splendour and the pleasures and enjoyments of the world are vanity and nothing and yet these nothings take up all our thoughts and engross all our affections they stifle the better inclinations of our soul and inveigle us into many a sin it may be in a sober mood we give them the slight and resolve to be no longer deluded with them but these thoughts seldom outlive the next temptation the vanities which we have shut out at the door get in at a postern there are still some pretences some hopes that flatter us and after we have been frustrated a thousand times we must be continually repeating the experiment the least difference of circumstances is enough to delude us and make us expect that satisfaction in one thing which we have missed in another but could we once get clearly off and come to a real and serious contempt of worldly things this would be a very considerable advancement in our way the soul of man is of a vigorous and active nature and has in it a raging and inextinguishable thirst an immaterial kind of fire always catching at some object or other in conjunction wherewith it thinks to be happy and were it once rent from the world and all the bewitching enjoyments under the sun it would quickly search after some higher and more excellent object to satisfy its ardent and importunate cravings and being no longer dazzled with glittering vanities would fix on that supreme and all-sufficient good where it would discover such beauty and sweetness as would charm and overpower all its affections the love of the world and the love of god are like the scales of a balance as one falls the other rises when our natural inclinations prosper and the creature is exalted in our soul religion faints and languishes but when earthly objects wither away and lose their beauty and when the soul begins to cool and flag in its prosecution of them then the seeds of grace take root and the divine life begins to flourish and prevail it therefore nearly concerns us to convince ourselves of the emptiness and vanity of creature enjoyments and reason our hearts out of love with them let us seriously consider all that our reason or our faith or our own experience or the observations of others can suggest to this effect let us ponder the matter over and over and fix our thoughts on this truth until we become really persuaded of it amidst all our pursuits and designs let us stop and ask ourselves for what end is all this at what do i aim can the gross and muddy pleasures of sense can a heap of white and yellow earth or the esteem and affection of silly creatures like myself satisfy a rational and immortal soul have i not tried these things already will they have a higher relish and yield me more contentment to-morrow than yesterday or the next year more than the last 
there may be some little difference between that which i am now pursuing and that which i enjoyed before but surely my former enjoyments did show as pleasant and promised as fair before i attained them like the rainbow they looked very glorious at a distance but when i approached i found nothing but emptiness and vapour oh what a poor thing would the life of man be if it were capable of no higher enjoyments i cannot insist on this subject and there is even less need when i remember to whom i am writing yes my dear friend you have had as great experience of the emptiness and vanity of human things and have at present as few worldly engagements as any one i know i have sometimes reflected on those passages of your life wherewith you have been pleased to acquaint me and i think through all i can discern a design of the divine providence to wean your affections from everything here below the trials you have had of those things which the world dotes upon have taught you to despise them and you have found by experience that neither the endowments of nature nor the advantages of fortune are sufficient for happiness you have found that every rose has its thorn and there may be a worm at the root of the fairest gourd some secret and undiscerned grief which may make a person deserve the pity of those who perhaps admire or envy their supposed felicity if any earthly comforts have gotten too much of your heart i think they have been your relations and friends and the dearest of those are removed out of the world so that you must raise your mind towards heaven when you would think upon them thus god has provided that your heart may be loosed from the world and that he may not have any rival in your affection which i have always observed to be so large and unbounded so noble and disinterested that no inferior object can answer or deserve it when we have gotten our corruptions restrained and our natural appetites and inclinations towards worldly things in some measure subdued we must proceed to such exercises as have a more immediate tendency to excite and awaken the divine life and first let us endeavour conscientiously to perform those duties which religion requires and whereunto it would incline us if it prevailed in our souls if we cannot get our inward disposition presently changed let us study at least to regulate our outward deportment if our hearts are not inflamed with divine love yet let us however own our allegiance to that divine majesty by attending his service and listening to his word by speaking reverently of his name and praising his goodness and by exhorting others to serve and obey him if we lack that charity and those bowels of compassion which we ought to have towards our neighbours yet we must not omit any occasion of doing them good if our hearts are haughty and proud we must nevertheless study a most humble deportment these external performances are of little value in themselves yet they may help us forward to better things the apostle indeed tells us that bodily exercise is of little profit but he does not seem to affirm that it is altogether useless it is always good to be doing what we can for then god is wont to pity our weakness and assist our feeble endeavours and when true charity and humility and other graces of the divine spirit come to take root in our souls they will exert themselves more freely and with less difficulty if we have before been accustomed to express them in our outward conversations nor need we fear the imputation of hypocrisy though our actions do thus somewhat outrun our affections seeing that they still proceed from a sense of our duty our design is not to appear better than we are but that we may really become so but as inward acts have a more immediate influence on the soul to mould it to a right temper and frame so ought we to be most frequent and sedulous in the exercise of them let us often be lifting up our hearts towards god and if we do not say that we love him above all things let us at least acknowledge that it is our duty and that it would be our happiness to do so let us lament the dishonour done to him by foolish and sinful men and applaud the praises and adorations that are given him by that blessed and glorious company above let us resign and yield ourselves up unto him a thousand times to be governed by his laws and disposed of at his pleasure 
and though our stubborn hearts might step back and refuse, yet let us tell him that we are convinced that his will is always just and good, and that we therefore desire him to do with us whatsoever he pleases, whether we like it or not. And so, for begetting in us a universal charity towards men, we must frequently be putting up wishes for their happiness, and blessing every person that we see, and when we have done anything for the relief of the miserable, we may second it with earnest desires that God would take care of them and deliver them out of all their distresses. Thus should we excite ourselves unto godliness, and when we are employing the powers that we have, the Spirit of God is wont to strike in and elevate these acts of our soul beyond the pitch of nature and give them a divine impression and after the frequent reiteration of these, we shall find ourselves more inclined unto them, and they will flow with greater freedom and ease. End of section 4. Recording by Jen Raimundo.